Hello and welcome to May I Have This Dance, a podcast from the Human Awareness Institute, or HI, among friends. We're here because we love having real, rich, juicy conversations with people. We strip down with the people we interview, figuratively and only sometimes literally, to the undercurrent of what it means to be human through the lens of love, intimacy, and sexuality. As an organization, HI is a place to explore and embrace our humanness. Obviously, a podcast can't replace our workshops, but we do hope that in these interviews you are able to catch a glimpse of who we are and what we do. Shall I get started with the interview? Let's do it! Hi everyone, Kate here. When I scheduled our next guest, Marcy Graham, for the podcast, I hoped that we'd be able to capture her gentle wisdom and her fierce heart all in one recording. I think we succeeded. Marcy is someone that I really, really look up to. To me, she's like a modern-day medicine woman. She holds the big-picture vision for where we need to go in our quest for a safer, more equal society. And at the same time, she makes room in her heart to be present with each individual person she spends time with. In this episode, Marcy shares about her own vulnerable journey towards finding her power and her voice. She shares useful messages for how to cope with our collective sexual trauma and how to support someone you love who has experienced a boundary crossing. I feel so fortunate to have been a part of this important conversation with Marcy. I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. So I'm here with our guest today. Do you mind sharing with us your name, your preferred pronouns, and where you live? Oh, I'd love to. My name is Marcy Graham. My pronouns are she and her, and I live in Lakeport, California. So Marcy, you and I work together somewhat. You are involved in the Human Awareness Institute as a facilitator. And so I know you... uh, I feel like we've spent actually relatively little time together, but I feel already like I know you pretty deeply. Um, And some of the things that I feel that I know about you are that you show up with so much heart. You are just one of those people that I feel like I can just like breathe into and I, all of my body relaxes when I'm in your (laughs) presence and uh, you're just Mm -hmm. like your smile and your energy is like a warm hug. Um, And I also know about you that you're a very strong woman, that you uh, are very clear and articulate in your values and your points of view. And I, I look up to you very much as a, as a fellow woman in her power. Um, and I wonder, do those descriptions fit how you see yourself? And are there other parts of yourself that feel significant to you right now that you've been tuning into or cultivating? Um, who, who are you at this stage of your life? That's beautiful, Kate. First of all, just thank you for that beautiful yeah. reflection. I, you know, uh, many years ago, I actually put on my, some, you know, media thing that I'm soft and fierce. And hmm. um, there's something about embracing both of those things that actually feels um, like it really does describe how I think I show up in the world. I had this really soft place to be in connection and compassion, huge compassion for people on their journeys. And then I have this place that's just like, I kind of see sometimes this little boxer inside of me with the gloves on, like, don't mess with me. There's certain, <laughs> there's certain things that I'm like, I've got really clear boundaries about. And not just for myself, but I've really 
deeply, um, I guess, dived into, I, that's, I don't know if that's the right word, but dived into this whole question of how women are treated and how they show up in the world and whether they're actually able to stand strongly in themselves. And I've had many, many years of not doing that. And um, that's been, um, I guess, I don't know if it's been pounded out of me or if I just was like, in the, there was just some moments when it was like enough and I needed to learn how to do that. And that has been being, oh my goodness, I just, in a million ways, how do, how do we do that? How do we undo what culture gave us? And here we are in 2020, you know, like with a million ways that women can show up and still it's not, um, it's not equitable, you know, in the culture. Can you go a little deeper into that statement, uh, kind of undo what culture gave us? What does that mean for you? What that means for me, Kate, is um, I think that we have gone along in the world accepting a whole bunch of different ways of being and worldviews that we didn't actually have the opportunity to question, or at least I should say I didn't as when I was growing up, but this is the way women behave, you know, this is the way we serve, take care of everybody else, we serve our families, we serve our partners, we take care of our children, and that's our job, you know, and it isn't really, I'm not really speaking of it from the domestic place, but this kind of this underlying, um, we're not as good as the um, you know, the male part of our world. And I, I don't want to be binary at all, but there mm -hmm. is that component. It's true that women have a certain role and then men have had a, another role. And um, I think that culture gave us this and we then have had to decide inside of ourselves if it fits or not. I was speaking to someone the other day and I said, it feels like culture is this vast, huge tapestry. And I think of those medieval tapestries hanging in castles, you know, that have mm -hmm. gold threads and all these different threads. And like in this moment in 2020, it feels like we're, you know, I can pull maybe one thread out of that tapestry and start to unravel it. And that's, that's the amount of work I see there is to do. I mean, there's a lot of basic things that we are obviously paid attention to for the last many decades but there's the underlying what's really going on do we really know when we don't want to comply anymore do we really know that hmm. it feels really really subtle at this point to me and like to unravel it it's this little thread but I want to yeah. un untwist you know I, yeah you know I, what I'm hearing and that I, I really resonate is how complex it is you know that our identities as women our roles as women uh, how we relate to each other and men or, you know, just the, even if the masculine is a symbol, is a symbol for power, how do we relate to that? Um, I have been exploring, uh, I guess, feminine identity uh, and feminist culture through my graduate program a lot. And it's been really up for me. Like I, I think I always kind of loosely identified as a feminist. I, I certainly valued having equality in my relationship. I 
came from a family myself where it was very matriarchal. My mother was very much the, the, you know, um, breadwinner and the decider of things in our family. Um, and yet, you know, going through this grad program, I'm, it's amazed to me, I've used the analogy of like turning up the volume. Like I suddenly hear and see the ways in which the very subtle ways in which I feel undermined on a daily basis that I just didn't notice before. Um, And I I always thought of sexism as this very overt kind of oppression where I'm not able to get a job or, you know, I'm not called on in class. and, And I maybe have one or two examples of that in my lifetime. But now I'm seeing the, you know, myriad of ways in which I am undermined and or don't give power to myself where I don't even take the room or take the space. I so hear you, my dear, because yeah. that it, it's, you know, I'm, there's, there's moments when I think, what did I, what did I miss in the sixties that I didn't bring forward? <laughs> you know, this was all yeah. happening. So it's not new the, you know, the awareness of the disparity between, you yeah. know, between our genders, but it's, it has gotten so subtle. It's like, it's unwinding a word at a time in a sentence sometimes. Like, wait a minute, that word has an expectation of my compliance. And I'm like, really? But it does, you know? And so I work, work to find a different word. You know, I love sense. that. Yeah, the, the, the language that we use and how that uh, signifies compliance. Wow, that's, that's powerful. I felt that land. Yeah. 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 And I, I know that you, Marcy, have spent quite a bit of the last several years uh, training and tuning yourself into not only uh, women's issues, but more specifically how that intersects with um, consent issues, right? Is that a good way to phrase it? And, and yeah. what has that work been like for you? What, what's come forward for you as you do that work? Well, that's a very, um, yes the last several three years about have been deeply, that's really been my focus. And um, even in the best consent policies that I've read, there's still sometimes this expectation of compliance that I am witnessing. And what what it's done for me, Kate, is um, it's up to my awareness about a thousandfold of, of those nuances and like watching, oh, right there, that thing you know, or that look even, or that stance is expecting mm. someone to behave in a certain way. And so I, I guess I would use the word that it's honed me. It's honed me into um, even fiercer. I'm even more mm. fierce about certain things. And then, and then this well of, uh, touches me, this well of compassion for mm. what we don't know, for every person. This, and this is completely genderless, that um, you know, the culture's created this thing and we're all operating under still no malicious intent. Most 99% of the time, there's no malicious intent at all. It's that we don't know and that we're acting on the patterns that were taught to us as children. You know, this is the, or, you know, I don't know, children, um, teenagers, all of that, like, this is how this is how we navigate attraction. This is how we navigate wanting to be sexual with someone. There's all these things, and it's just been changing radically in the last many years. But since the Me Too phenomenon, which I am so grateful for, it just started to unravel even more. So we got more and more specific 
about what worked for us and what we, all the ways that we have been quiet are now like we need to speak to. And so as you're tuning into all the ways that we've been quiet and uh, the non-malicious energies and ways that we interact as a culture together, um, I'm hearing it's kind of, it's almost a two-way dynamic is what I'm taking Mm -hmm. from what you just said Mm -hmm. is this, this pattern of behavior that we uh, engage in. How do you begin to break that down and work with it and shift it and change it? That is the, that's the crux of the matter. Yeah. The, the first thing is to notice. We have to notice that something didn't feel quite, quite lovely. Or I don't even want to use the word right. It's like, oh, that little, it's kind of, for me, it's all in my body. I'm getting little messages from my body all the time. Like there's a little twinge over here, a contraction here. I notice my jaw clenches or I, I maybe even the pattern of my breath changes and like something just happened here that didn't work. And I have mm-hmm. to actually take the time to pause and breathe and go, what was that? And then be willing to speak it. And getting it out of our mouths into actual words and sounds with mm-hmm. breath to another person who who has the capability to deeply listen is step 1 and then from that from that knowing from that noticing to okay I'm naming it I notice it then I name it then what am I going to do about it so just mm-hmm. sharing about one piece but then saying, you know, I don't want to use that word anymore, or this dynamic doesn't work for me anymore in the world, or in this relationship, or in this moment. And, um, you know, I addressed some of the things that felt so teeny, Kate, they felt so teeny, but when I actually spoke it, tears would come, rage would come. It's like, Oh my God, under that is this, this pattern, this person said this to me, you know, 10 years ago or 50 years ago or whatever, Mm. you shouldn't do that. And I buried it, but I, I created a way of being in the world on top of those. Actually, I like to think of those as things I should take to the return counter of, you know, know, the retail aspect. Like, I didn't sign up for that, but I got it and I embodied it and took it on. It's the tapestry. It's it's the, you're you're pointing to one little stitch. And then when you start to unravel, the whole tapestry is there underneath it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For, For those of us who may struggle to articulate a noticing like that, uh, you know, a, a, to bring forward into language what we're really wanting to say. Uh, would you mind trying to articulate an example of what someone might say uh, to use their voice more strongly and, and to represent what they're feeling? And of course, there's a, many different things people could feel and say, but how, how do you begin to put that into language? So I think the first thing, if you have a listener, somebody that you really trust to say, I'm feeling something that I don't even know what it is. Would you be willing to sit with me while I unravel? I'm just going to keep to that metaphor while I unravel this. And if they truly can listen without judging, without trying to fix it, that's the, you have to, you have to set that up. I don't need to be fixed. I just want to, I just want to start following this thread. And if you can be with me with that, um, 
it would be really important. And then to start saying, I don't know what it is. I just feel, uh, you know, whatever it is, I feel tension or I feel like a bruisy place in my heart or I'm noticing I'm, um, I'm, my hands are in a fist or something and just keep speaking it and speaking it. And, um, mm. It is hard because there are layers and layers of awareness, you know, and um, sometimes you might have to pass through tears or yelling or something else and um, to get to the bottom of it. But one of my best questions that I ask myself is, so what, first of all, what is actually occurring? What's actually occurring in this moment? Okay, I'm having a body sensation. And then I speak to that. And then what's under that? And what's under that? And what's under that? And if you have someone that's listening, if they can ask that question and give you all the space and time and um, compassion that they can bring forward, often it's like, oh, under that, I just remembered this happened with my parent or, you know, with my uncle or whoever. Oh, that didn't feel very good. What's under that? Oh, I thought mm -hmm. I had to do that thing, you know, mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's. And sometimes we just, you might say the same thing over and over again. I just feel crappy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what I, I'm really glad you named it, the, the layers of awareness. Because in your example, the I'm feeling kind of clenched or I'm feeling a little heartachy. What I immediately noticed is how in the present that is. It doesn't go mm. off into the story uh, right away. You know, it just is really quite vulnerable to be, to be, exposing the sensations that you're feeling right in the moment. And to me, it just invites so much intimacy for the person who's listening to you. And the other piece that I love that I heard you say is, is setting it up, you know, the context, the container that you want, the asking of permission from your listener to give you the space to explore into what you're feeling. And to me, that is another beautiful way of continuing to maybe Reknit, you know, if we're staying with this metaphor, to to begin to sew a new pattern, um, where there's consent back and forth. You know, you're asking permission to go into the, what you're feeling, and and that the person can really uh, listen to you from a place of empowerment themselves. You know, so I love that. Yeah, one of the pieces of that you know what's actually occurring and being extremely it's it is about being extremely present with yourself and that's mm -hmm. very different than telling the story which you just picked up the story the story may or may not have much to do with what's really happening right right now mm -hmm. it may have been the impetus but what's happening right now is your response um from years of embodying that story and the I studied a process called continuum movement starting 20 years ago now. And one of the, one of the um, most important sentences in that was, or I guess I would call it a prompt now was participate with the strongest sensation in your body. Hmm. And so I spent years studying that and practicing that. And it's still, it's still there. And it's, it's not, it's not always about something that's negative. You know, sometimes it's like something juicy and beautiful and wonderful. It's like, how am I willing to be, get so present with myself that I can participate with that, with that sensation? And that might just mean movement and breath. It doesn't may have nothing to do with words. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. The, the finding the yes, it sounds like the knowing what that feels like in your body and yeah. 
Yeah. I, I wonder if you wouldn't mind speaking to the concept of the pelvic floor. This is something that you just recently shared with me off the air as I was working through my own uh, desire to continue to hone my ability to speak what I need and want. And uh, this this practice was so impactful for me. I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing it from your perspective. I love that you took it on so quickly, Kate. <laughs> it's, <been laughs> it's great. I love it. I'm like, where's my pelvic floor? Every day, let's find it. Right. So um, the continuum practice, of course, had much to do with our anatomy and our bone structure and all of that. And then I, um, I read an article in the Sun magazine and discovered a, a man that wrote a book, New Self, New World, and, and he was presenting the embodied present process. And I decided after uh, doing some work with him to take his teacher training. And so he, he was, um, it's always fascinating to me, actually, that I was so drawn to someone speaking about the feminine from a masculine person. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is interesting. It's very interesting. But I read the book and it was one of the densest books I've ever read, but every sentence made sense to me. And then I did his training and he was the one that kind of just kept coming back to the pelvic floor and the pelvic bowl, actually. So the, there's the bones, you know, of that hold the bowl itself. And then the perineum is, is the pelvic floor. And the, the thing that made so much sense to me is like this bowl, and you know, the sacrum is one of the bones of the pelvic bowl. And it's this, the sacred bone. They called it sacrum for sacred when they were naming bones mm. a jillion years ago, because there was, it was kind of like this magical place that held, it held, holds the womb obviously for women it holds all the reproductive organs for all genders and this this is the place of if if the chakra system means anything to you but it's the place of regeneration it's the place where reproduction happens it's the place it's the it's the magic place and as mm. as our culture has gotten more and more intellectual and academic and Thank you to technology. You know, we have to think so hard. We have to use our brain so hard that many people have left the body in the mm. in the dust, so to speak. And one of the one of the the funny metaphors of that, if you know that standard um, little icon that's on bathroom doors, it has it has a head and then it has a little person, you know, legs and arms with a skirt and mm -hmm. then but there, there's no neck. They never put a neck there. And <laughs> it's almost like this is our culture. We have the head and the body's just like, well, it's just carrying this around. It's, it's not, yeah, it's not doing, giving us anything, but it's actually giving us so much. And the pelvic floor holds the foundation and, and the bowl holds the foundation of who we are and it supports, mm. it supports everything. You know, the spine rises up out of it that, holds then the rib basket, which holds the heart, which we want to cultivate our lovingness and our compassion. And then on, on top of that is the head and they're, they're all one thing, you know, and I think our culture, you know, when people talk about mind, body, spirit, like they're three separate things, I'm always like, no, no, it's really, it's one thing. Don't forget that it's yeah. one thing. And that the pelvic bowl is the foundation for us to be loving and to be compassionate and to be wise and to access all the different mm. possibilities that um that a human being can be and there's a neural 
tissue in the belly and neural tissue in the heart as well as in the brain. And I think that's, I just think that's one of the coolest things ever that we isn't it? I know. I, we could probably geek out about the intelligence of the gut here for a minute, but um, I, I want to stay with this pelvic bowl because so what it did for me when you said, all right, let's let's sit, you know, feel your sit bones and let's bring your energy down and your awareness down through your body and into your pelvic bowl. I I was amazed in that moment and I'm still just, my heart flutters thinking about it as I I feel it again, is that I spend so much of my time up above the waist and up above the shoulders, right? You know, that that's where my energy is. My awareness is there. And I think that I tend to be someone who balances uh, my intellectual side pretty well with my heart, my emotions. But what I saw in this exercise with you is how I have a good grasp on my intellectual side and my feelings, my emotions, my heart, Mm -hmm. but I'm not that deep rooted into my body, Mm -hmm. which is a whole nother way of rooting and grounding and knowing oneself. And my, my voice changes. Like I'm aware of myself coming down and, and feeling rooted in a totally different way. And, um, it gave me almost immediate access to more clarity about what I want, what I want to say, who I am. You know, it's like a pull right through the center of my being that, that I can lean on when I'm aware of that. Mm -hmm. And it's just so powerful. Um, Yes, that. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and and you yeah. and you got it. I mean, I could hear the change yeah. in your voice actually because when we're mostly in our heads, we tend to breathe more in the chest, and we don't pay attention to this to this body. And it and it's it's kind of crazy because it is, as I said, we're, we're one thing, and that's mm. this practice of for me, which is happening with me all the time, especially especially I pay attention if something has me just a little off center I'm like oh I need to speak to someone about something difficult or I need to bring a a challenging feeling forward or you know or I'm about to lead lead something I need to Mm. feel my feet and feel my sitting bones and pay send breath actually and pay attention to what my pelvic bowl is holding and Things come out of my mouth when I speak from that place that I don't, I couldn't think them, Kate. You know, they're not, they're not, um, that's, don't want that to, (laughs) noticing, does that sound airy fairy here? I don't mean that. It means that it's, that I'm embodied and my body tells me things that I don't see in words in my head or see as a script in my head, but it's a no, I guess it's a knowing. It's a deep knowing. Mm when I can speak from and access the, I think of it as from my bones, you know, that the bones yeah. know a lot and most people don't pay any attention at all to that. Yeah. I, I want to uh, shift here just slightly on the same topic because I, 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 something's been on my mind that I, about this that feels related and I, I want your perspective on it, which is, um, I've been tuning into and, and paying attention to this idea of collective trauma. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've seen the phrase kind of, you know, pushed around a little bit more here and there, more more on the kind of mainstream media as we're identifying everything that's happening with coronavirus as being a collective trauma, right? And 
But as it pertains to, you mentioned the, the Me Too movement and how much that created momentum in our culture and, uh, and began to unravel things. I think part of that was also the awareness that we have this underbelly, this collective trauma that has been sitting there and uh, needs our attention. And the thing about trauma is that it has many, many layers and that it comes up uh, oftentimes unexpectedly and it, it deserves time and attention. And so in your work with women and men, I know you work with all genders and, and all people with this issue. It's not just a women's issue, although I know you're very passionate about empowering women in particular. How do you grapple with the experience of that collective trauma that I, I imagine you feel? And what would you say to people about what that experience is and how do we make sense of it and how do we begin to heal? That is a very big question, um, Kate. Yeah. Um, I really have to say that it feels like it's one person at a time, even though, and each person has their own way of navigating that trauma. And it's something that I don't think ever leaves a person that's experienced it. Um, and my my great hope is that the trauma transforms into an understanding and a wisdom because they because they've been held in it um, emotionally, possibly physically, possibly also intellectually. But um, when when I get underneath what I've heard from really dozens of women and talk maybe maybe hundreds of women. They all say, or the or a person that's been harmed. I'm not even going to say women. A person that's been harmed in some way. This this thing comes out of their mouth, and I'm I'm always like surprised at how quickly it comes out of their mouth. And now I expect it, and I'm not disappointed. Everyone says, I don't want this to happen to anyone else. And when we hold that kind of a vision, if that's a vision that I don't want another person to be harmed. I don't want another person to be treated with disrespect, without dignity, without compassion, without love. I believe that actually is what's going to change people when we change inside of ourselves. That behavior isn't okay anymore. That thing that caused me the trauma, that's not okay. And I also have this huge want and to, to one person at a time, if we ever see or witness someone being hurt or traumatized, that we give ourselves permission to gently step in and say, you know what, mm. this doesn't feel good to me. And maybe we don't, maybe we don't interact with the, with the person doing the harm, but we just kind of get in the way and say, come on with me, even if we don't know them, let's go sit down together. Um, or something as innocuous as asking someone the time when they're being when they're being kind of attacked, so that we um, avert avert the thing coming in, the energy coming in, yeah. and take them away. Even you know, mm -hmm. there's a there's a way that we can interrupt kindly without having to say to the quote the person that's doing the the thing that's painful attacking them and that doesn't help it's just to get the person away from them um mm -hmm. that's that's like one at a time 
I think, you know, I'm not a trauma expert in the slightest, though I've done a lot of reading about it. Uh, it feels almost like, I hate to say this, but it's like the human condition and um, that if we're not affected by the pain that people put on us, there's some, there's something in the, you know, there's something blocking that in a way. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. it, it, that we all have pain to work through we and all, be with. Absolutely. Everybody has, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter, uh, uh, you know, if we even know the source of the pain, it matters that we look at it. And someone recently said to me, we have to feel it to heal it. And it's very, it's yeah. a very short little sentence, but if we don't go in and feel the thing that hurt us ever, we can't heal it. It will, it will come out sideways in the way we behave with other people. I often think of it as kind of like these little uh, jolts that go, you know, when people do something unthinkingly um, mm-hmm. and that, and there and it ends up being painful under those things is some kind of a hurt almost always. Almost always. Yeah. And if we don't want to look, we will keep doing those things. But when we look, mm-hmm. it hurts for a while. And then we can come to a place of like, oh, this is, I have an insight now about why I'm doing this. And now I'm going to take an action or I make a, or I make a commitment to myself. I'm not going to do that anymore. Or at least I want to notice when it comes up again, mm-hmm. you know. I don't know yeah. that I answered the big question here with the virus at all because I don't I don't know. Yeah, but but you you did you touched on the piece of compassion and and looking for the opportunities to intervene um, and feeling it. You know the the grappling with it, the each individual person's journey with it, and uh, I I so agree with you around the the practice of looking out for our fellow human beings and looking for opportunities to help create more safety. I think there's lots of ways we can do that. We can do that by opening up dialogue uh, about these issues. We can step in if something seems off. Um, Even in hindsight, if something feels uncomfortable, we can speak up and say, hey, is something off here? You know, that I I noticed, I'm noticing something strange. Um, that, That for me, that last piece comes up quite a bit with children because a lot of times children who are being abused will will indicate in some ways that they're that they're being harmed but they don't know how to articulate it and so it's really important that adults tune in to those subtle cues from children and and ask questions um and i think the more that we open this up and and be willing to look and and to communicate the less scary those conversations will be uh one last thought i'd love for you. And I know that we got pretty deep into this topic. Um, And I'd also love, as I ask you this last question, to hear a little bit more about your own journey with this, whether it be from the facilitation supporting side or uh, your own story with with men and or lovers or anyone else that has impacted you. Feel free to bring that in. Um, But as a kind of a nice transition here towards the end, what is something that you've noticed about the way that people receive people who have been harmed that really resonates? You know, how can we as people, as fellow human beings, learn to hold space when we learn that someone has been harmed? 
in a way that's really effectual. Well, what I know is that nobody wants to be fixed. They do not. Mm. They do not want a whole list of why don't you try this or why don't you try that or why don't you do this? Those kinds of questions generally are kind of like a stab in the heart. Like I really just, mostly people just want to be heard. They want to be heard. And every person that I've ever talked to that's had a pain has their own idea already. They already know what they want. Uh, you know, from, from a, t from a tiny little, um, incident in a at an event somebody say I just I just need you to stand here with me or would you put your hand mm. on my shoulder or would you get me a drink of water you know to go in with an agenda when someone's been hurt is going to backfire it just it's not mm. it's not going to work and um and to keep asking so what do you need what do you, what would you like me to do right now um I think our whole culture is is you know uh, focused on fixing things instead of allowing space around them and allowing space, allowing breath. Sometimes people need to just, um, I guess I would say, can I be here with you and would be all right with you if I just remind you to breathe every once in a while, if I'm noticing that they're not breathing very fully. Um, I think I, I think I went off in the, a different direction than you asked me. Um, am I? No, yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. Exactly right on. Okay. Yeah. The, the, how to be with someone in this and, um, yeah, the, the ask, you know, you just articulated, uh, a way of support, even while asking for consent that, you know, I think with a lot of trauma, especially trauma related to having your boundaries crossed or your voice taken away, the more that that person can regain that sense of voice and choice, is so important in those, in those hours or, or days or months after they've been harmed. So yeah, I love that. It's a, it's a very long process and I, I, I will um, touch on my own history of yeah, this. Um, <laughs> I, I think back to my, when I was married and um, I had been trained by a lovely mom that, you know, the, the main advice was to grin and bear it or, you know, mm -hmm. this too will pass. That was, there wasn't, there wasn't training from my mother to, I heard you say your mom was a matriarch and said the way things were, that's not, that wasn't what I grew up with. I did grow up with three mm -hmm. sisters and uh, my dad was actually um, a really compassionate, kind human being focused on personal growth himself ever since I was a little kid, you know, he was a Dale Carnegie instructor. And so from, from the beginning of time, I was like, I was like, there's, there's always a better you there. Don't you worry. There's something you, you can do to be a better person. I'm sure of it. And, and so that's always been, there. I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, you know, yeah. it's not that we weren't great just the way we were, but there's always something better to learn. And, <laughs> and you know, there were little signs on the, on the bathroom mirror, you know, don't criticize, condemn or complain or act enthusiastic and you'll be enthusiastic. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So self help notes everywhere. Yep, everywhere. And and so mm -hmm. and so I've always, you know, held that and then um without going into a deep place, I 
I wasn't really prepared, however, to be in a marriage um, and how to deal with anger. My dad didn't really teach us anything about anger. And I found myself being a compliant woman. You know, I, um, what do you want? You know, what, all of that. And there was a time when um, I'm just watching myself being uh, being protective of my then husband and that's and that's I'm catching myself right here mm-hmm. right now not actually um what where's the word it's another it's another way of being compliant you know mm-hmm. I'm being that way right this moment and filtering. it's yeah it's trained is it, into me is it a filtering of yourself a like awareness to speak your full truth for, for this for thing. Protection of yeah. Him. Yeah. And yeah. you know, it's unlikely that he would even listen to this, but the truth of the matter is that there was um, emotional abuse in my relationship. And Stan Dale, our, the founder of human awareness Institute actually named it spiritual abuse. And it wasn't until I started um, my path actually started with a yoga class. And I remember lying mm-hmm. in Shavasana one day and, she was talking about seeing the the color of one's heart in the chakra system, which was green. And I only, it was like the tiniest flicker of green. I was like, where is my heart? I don't know where it is. Mm. And it felt like a line of green dental floss is what I remember saying to Stan, actually. And um, something had turned off. And I also had an incredible massage once from my sister. And she said, I feel a wall around your heart, Mercy. And I was protecting Mm -hmm. myself. And thank you to yoga. I know I kind of skipped around there, but thank you to yoga. I actually Mm -hmm. began to learn how to stand up for myself. And all the yogis out there, Tadasana um, is mountain pose where you stand and you feel your feet on the ground and you you know, sense yourself like a mountain to Dasana. And from that place, I could finally say, you know what? I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that thing that you asked me to just do, or you told me to do, or you demanded that I do. And <laughs> from that moment forward, mm. I, and of course the response was a radically different response than I'd ever had before <laughs> without my you know, being oh, magic. It was like, yeah. Oh, Really? And it actually, the response was actually silence. And I was like, oh, what I really need to do is to stand up for myself. And so that's been, I don't know, gosh, Kate, 30 years ago now. And it just one thing after the other, after the other ended up um, divorcing and moving from Iowa to California and starting a, a journey of, of, uh, personal growth that I, I sometimes am like, Oh my God, I, this is, this has been the most important thing of my life is to get underneath all the ways that made it. So I had to learn that, you know, Mm -hmm. what happened in me that I turned into a compliant person and that everybody else's opinions and needs were more important than my own. I had to undo that. And that was a really huge, huge piece. And it's, I, I think, as I said before, the nuances are still arriving little by little, and there's a million ways our whole culture needs to unravel this, the, the balance of entitlement and compliance. 
it doesn't matter what your gender is. It matters if you if there's entitlement, why do you think you have it? And if there's compliance, why do you think you're doing that too? Wow, Marcy, that was, you nailed it. I mean, I'm so grateful to you. I feel that's so resonating within my heart around, I, I'm standing with you in mountain pose in this <laughs> feeling of, uh, of strength and open-heartedness and integrity. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I, I really am hopeful that there are people like you out in the world shining light on this and articulating so beautifully what we can do to begin to weave a new tapestry for the future. I, I so hope that, uh, you know, future generations get to look back on this and that it feel like a distant memory. Well, you know, I have grandchildren. I have three granddaughters and one grandson. And I didn't know that actually. That's so sweet. And there's a place like I don't want to have to hear their this story from any of them. I don't, yeah. and from my daughters either. You know, uh, but um, yeah, it's there's you know, you know the quote that's like there's there's a kind of person that plants a tree knowing that they will never sit under the shade of it. You know that. Mm. And and I feel like in lots of ways, the work I'm doing now, I will never see, I will never see the outcome of it actually deeply touches me um, mm. because I want those generations way out in front of me to have the strength and the power inside themselves and to know this is, this is what I want and it's okay for me to have what I want. That's, you know, that's even the other question that women go, is, is it really often I hear a lot? I don't know if I, if it's okay for me to want that. I'm like, oh yes, it is. Oh yes. Oh yes, it is. And so um, <laughs> Oh, and there's your fierce heart right there. <laughs> there she is. She's, she's there. There she yeah. is. Yeah. Well, thank you, Marcy, for coming on mm-hmm. and talking so beautifully. And I, and may the many oaks that you plant just <laughs> bloom into the future. Well, I do have I, lots of flowers, I have to say, that soothe me out there. So there's that, that part. You do. That, you have one of the most beautiful gardens I've ever seen. Yeah. It's just stunning. It's a, All right, sweetie. Thank yeah. you. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. For more information about the Human Awareness Institute and to learn more about our workshops, please visit our website at hi.org. That's H-A-I dot org. This show was produced by my wonderful co-host, Kate Gillespie. And it was edited and co-produced by my equally delightful co-host, Haya Camps. Our introduction music is called Dance With Me, and it is performed and produced by our wonderful High Workshop participant, Gypsy Jack Van Brie. It was a pleasure to have you with us. See you soon. Ciao.